Well, good morning, and happy New Year. It is, it is uh, you know, with me speaking on the first Sunday of the year, it's kind of funny how it came about. You know, the first, like, three or four years that this happened, it just was by chance. Uh, and it was like, yeah, every, every first Sunday of the year, it ends up being, uh, you know, my turn in the rotation. But, uh, uh, and then we're just like, hey, we just, now we just, we got to stick with it. So now I get to get this first Sunday of the year, um, first Sunday of 2019, um, and, uh, you know, we've come to this sort of interesting time of the year, this beginning of the year, um, where, you know, the, we, we come through the last three months of the year, and it feels like things are just really packed together. There's a lot of celebration, there's a lot of holidays, there's a lot of family time, and then we come to January, and it just kind of feels like, blah, it's winter now. Uh, you look around, and, you know, last week, uh, or, or if you were or a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, like the you know the church was all decorated for Christmas, and there was you know no pretty shiny lights everywhere if you drive around, and now you just kind of drive around, and especially this winter, it's more just mud uh, everywhere that you see. Some people like if you come to our house, we're still hanging on strong to our Christmas lights and our decorations outside. Um, but we hit this time of the year, and it's this time where you head into the first three months or so. Uh, of the year, and there's just not a lot going on. And you might be somebody who's saying, like, well, yeah, it's great. There's not a lot going on. I am tired. I'm exhausted. I've been doing all this work for the last few months. But if you're like me, you head into this time of year, and you're kind of like, oh, there's not a lot going on, not a lot to really be all that excited about. Um, if you're a student in school, you'd be looking at this time and thinking, like, I've got, like, four months until my next major vacation. Or if you work at a school, you might be looking, I've got like four months till my next major uh, time off. And, you know, unless you're a big fan of like President's Day or Valentine's Day or something like that, there's not a lot of major holidays or celebrations or things like that uh, going on. Um, And as we look at this time, you know, I kind of look at life as I, you know, in terms of what my attitude is like towards this time of the year. And in life, I feel like individuals and families, we can sometimes have this sort of underlying attitude that we're just sort of simply existing in between some of the more more major moments in our lives, some of the bigger moments uh, in our lives, whether it's major holidays or celebrations or your next big vacation uh, or whatever that might be. It can feel sometimes like we're just sort of waiting for the next big moment uh, to come about. In our lives, and as parents, we do this a lot in our families too. You know, I remember when my when I first had when we first had kids, and my kids were really young. I would sort of get very similar advice from a lot of people, um, especially people who had older kids or kids who had moved up and grown out and, and kind of moved out of the house. They would say things like, "Make the most of this, cherish every moment. You know, make the most of every moment. Make those memories now because it doesn't last." And which is you know great advice, but it's also a lot of pressure. Uh, to, like, to really be making the most of every moment. And so we do this. You know, we try to go through, like, where we try to make memories and we try to make big moments and have these times in our, in our family and our kids' lives that we can really look back on and say, remember when we did this? Um, and it's not a bad thing uh, to be seeking to do that. But at times it can feel like the moments in between the big moments really just aren't all that important. And we just sort of like want to get through those moments to get to the next big moment. Those moments in between the moments, they're just sort of ordinary. They're just sort of the things that we need to get through. 
for the things like work, school, laundry, dinner, chores, bills, homework. The things that are just kind of like, ugh, just got to get through this stuff so I can get to the next part of my actual life that I'm going to enjoy. As I was thinking about this uh, this week and this message, uh, I was reminded of a funny little Christmas video uh, that came out a couple of years ago that I wanted to share with you this morning. You know, it's kind of funny, but the obvious, you know, the obvious uh, idea behind this video is that this guy is opening up all of these gifts that are, you know, just these normal, ordinary things that most likely you and I um, have sort of just regular access to these things. But obviously the point is that these are normal things for us, but in fact they're gifts that probably, you know, much of the rest of the world doesn't really have access to and we take those ordinary gifts for granted. Much like we can take our ordinary time for granted as well. The moments in between the moments. We can do this in our lives, in our regular everyday life. We can do this in our our spiritual lives as well. As we think about the life of Jesus, there are probably, and the things that we know about Jesus, there are probably some, some highlights that sort of immediately come to mind as you think about what we know about the life of Jesus. Certainly, You know, as we think about the life and and the ministry of Jesus, you know, his death and resurrection would be something, hopefully, that's sort of paramount in the things that we think about in terms of, you know, in terms of what we know about Jesus. We might think about his birth, which we just kind of came through the season where we're celebrating his birth. We might think of other sort of highlights, you know, like the raising of Lazarus, the feeding of the 5,000, having Peter walk on water, the transfiguration, all these sort of major events that took place, major miracles uh, that took place in the life and ministry of Jesus. Much like how we may view our own lives, the things that may not come to mind are the many ordinary interactions people had uh, with Jesus that took place in between some of these more extraordinary, miraculous events. 
And in light of the, so in light of the time of year that we find ourselves in, I wanted us to spend some time talking this morning about what does it look like to live and follow Jesus during the ordinary times of our lives? The time in between the celebrations, the time in between major outreach events or missions trips or things like that that we might involve ourselves in. And not that those things are bad by any means. They're awesome. They're great. We should totally be involved uh, in those things. Um, But what does it look like in between those times? In doing this, we're going to be taking a closer look at the passage uh, that we read this morning and a couple of interactions that Jesus had with his disciples uh, in addition to some other encounters. And in doing this, my hope is this, that we'll grow in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in the ordinary. And one of the things that I think, one of the first things that sort of jumped out at me as I was looking through this passage this morning is that following Jesus in the ordinary begins with getting to know him, with knowing Jesus. One of the dangers of sort of the highlight reel view of the life of Jesus is that we forget how much of what defined the disciples and their relationship with Jesus was the fact that they spent day and night with Jesus, that he lived with them for three years, that he ate with them, that every aspect of their lives was lived in the presence of Jesus, hearing his teaching. Jesus just wasn't just this sort of celebrity rock star that they followed around on tour. He, he ate with them, he stayed with them, he traveled with them, they sat and they spoke together. And in the first part of our passage this morning, we see Jesus in this context, having, this, having a conversation with his disciples where he asks the disciples a question. It says this in verses 13 through 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, <clears throat> Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. But then Jesus turns to them, he says, what about you? You, the people that I've been living with, the people that I've been teaching, the people that, have, the people that know me, have been spending all this time with me, the people that I have been investing in, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter responds, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So he starts this interaction by saying, like, you know, the word, what's the word on the street about me? Who are people saying? What is the general public saying about me? And they give him this answer. But then the most important question is directed at the people who know him, who live with him, who have been defined by this regular contact and interaction with Jesus. And Peter's answer not only defines what will be the focal point of his life moving forward, but his answer becomes the entire foundational truth of the church, of who we are. And it's a question that's put to us as well. Who do we say that Jesus is? And that is, should, is the foundational truth of our lives in the ordinary times and the extraordinary times. Because ordinary life with Jesus must be rooted in the truth of who he is and what his word teaches which means that we need to be invested in things that help us know him and help us know what his word teaches. There's most likely certain things in your life that you have made it a priority to learn about and understand. They could be things that maybe are connected to requirements for your success in your profession. 
in your job, in your employment. They could be things that, if you're a student, they could be things that are required for your success in school and class and things like that. They could be things that you enjoy, maybe things like fishing or hunting or a sport or so, you know, some, you've, you've kind of made it a priority to learn about those things. They could be things that are connected to maybe an important relationship uh, in your life, like maybe you, how your spouse takes their coffee or something along those lines, something that you've sort of made it a priority to learn and understand and know about. Living in the ordinary with Jesus means that we are doing things to get to know him. One of the things I've been appreciative of in the last you know, couple of months since I've been involved with it has been the men's discipleship group that Pastor Dave uh, facilitates here at Grace. And one of the things I appreciate about it, one of the main things I appreciate about it is because its focus is on helping the men that are connected to this group develop and maintain habits to know Jesus more. Habits to grow in that relationship with Jesus and know Jesus more. Are there habits in your life to help you know Jesus more? These things can be, you know, formal, organized things that you're a part of or groups, or they can be things that you're doing individually. Ideally, there'd be both of those things. Um, Obviously, here at Grace, there are things like discovery classes and Bible studies, and, and we also have some resources on our website. If, have, if you haven't checked out our website recently, if you go to our website, there's a resources tab uh, in our website that has a bunch of tools that are available there for you to be using in your own life to, for that main purpose to get to know Jesus more and to know more about what the truth of his word teaches. So, if you, you know, gracechalfont.com if you want to check out the resources section of our website. Because life in the ordinary means, with Jesus, means we need to be rooted in the truth of who he is and what his word teaches. Something else we see in this passage is that ordinary life with Jesus means that we also allow Jesus then to work in us. If you're a parent, you're probably familiar with this struggle. I don't know whether you would use these words that I'm going to use to necessarily describe this struggle, but this is probably a struggle that you are familiar with, and it is this. The struggle between maintaining a balance in terms of how you parent your children between what we call structure and what we call nurture. Now, what do we mean by that? And, you know, you may not have phrased it this way before, but when we talk about nurture, basically we're talking about what are the things that I do and the ways that I interact with my children that just help them know that they are loved, that they are cared for, that they are valued, help them feel good about themselves and their place in the world and their lives. Those are the things that we do with them to sort of help them feel good about themselves, help them know that they're loved and cared for. That's the nurture side of that equation. But then there's the structure side of that equation where also our job as parents is to help our kids understand that there are also things like expectations uh, in the world, that there are boundaries uh, in the world, and that when our lives aren't really lived in accordance with those expectations and boundaries, there's some natural consequences that come into play. And sort of our job as parents is to kind of help find that balance between helping helping our kids understand both of those things. And obviously, if we are too far on one side or the other, then we can run into some issues as our kids grow and develop. If we're too far on that nurture side and it's all just like, you're so great, here's a trophy for everybody, you know, this is, you know, you know, everything is great, pat on the back, good job, and we never challenge and we never hold accountable, then maybe we end up with some kids that are maybe pretty self-centered and don't really understand that the world doesn't really revolve entirely around them. 
Um, but if we're too far on the structure side and it's all just like letter of the law and, it, you, know, I, you know, we come down hard and there's no forgiveness and there's no grace and there's no nurture, then we're probably running into some other issues long term in the development of our kids. As we read in this passage, the reason I bring that up is we read in this passage, we see Jesus has some, a couple of different responses to Peter in this passage. And I think this has to do with, all, is very indicative of how Jesus also works in our lives. Um, we see that Jesus has both a nurturing and encouraging response and also sometimes has more challenging responses to us. The first we see comes right on the heels of Peter's profession of Jesus as the Messiah. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of, the, the son of God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. But later on in the passage, as we saw, Jesus has other interactions where he's pre- beginning to predict his death. And tell his disciples that I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be risen again. And Simon's response to Simon Peter's response to him is, "This will never happen, Lord. I'm not going to let this happen." And listen to, Peter, to Jesus's response to Peter in this scenario. Jesus turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns." I find it pretty interesting that this sharp rebuke of Peter is included in Matthew's gospel right on the heels of such high encouragement of Peter. But it certainly goes to show that Jesus' involvement in our lives, in the lives of those that follow him, is not merely just to pat us on the back and encourage us and have us constantly feeling this, you know, good about ourselves. There is nurture, yes, but there is structure. And it's clear that Jesus works in our lives to both strengthen and encourage us and to challenge and change us. Following Jesus in the ordinary means being willing to not just be encouraged, but to be challenged and changed as well. What's our response when we find uh, something in our lives whether it's an opinion we hold or a belief we hold or an activity or an action or a behavior that we're involved in, what's our response when we find that one of those things is in conflict with the teaching of Scripture? Following Jesus means being willing to be encouraged and challenged as his spirit works in us. And as he works in us, Jesus also then desires to work through us for us to follow him, for him to be in charge of our lives. After challenging Peter, Jesus goes on to say this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. One of the primary things that we begin to understand as Jesus does work in us and does change us and does make us more like him is that our lives are not our own if we are followers of Christ. In Jesus, in his death and resurrection, we have received the opposite of what we really deserve. And therefore, the life that we live now and into eternity is not our own. And to continue to live as if our life belongs to us is really to deny the work that's been done by Jesus. 
So what does it look like for us to be living our life with the knowledge intentionally knowing that it does not belong to us? Does it look like outreach events? Does it look like missions trips? Does it look like big events in our lives? Yeah. But also it looks like a lot of things in between those times. I want to share another video with you. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business. Work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, or around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and towards the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days on our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. I'd go beyond you know, where that particular video leaves off in saying that work is worship. Well, work certainly is worship. But school is worship. Being a neighbor is worship. Friendship is worship. In a book, uh, in their book called Total Church, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write this, that most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Now, what does that mean? That sounds like a very fancy word, gospel intentionality. It sounds very good. But what are we talking about? when we're talking about gospel intentionality. Certainly, it would be things like seeking excellence in everything that we do. Certainly, it would be things like acting with integrity in everything that we are doing. 
Certainly it would be things like acts of hospitality and caring for those around us. Certainly it would be things like acting to care for the vulnerable that we have the opportunity to care for and protect. But most importantly, it's acting for the glory of the one who redeemed you. And these are the things that made the church stand out to the world around it, around it from the very beginning. I want to share with you how a man named uh, Aristides described the church in a letter to the emperor in AD 125. I'm going to put it up on the screen. The words are really small, but I'm going to read it to you too. Um, and this is what he writes. Further, if one or other of them have bondmen, and bondwomen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians, and when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if possible, to redeem him, they set him free. And if there's among them any that, are, that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy for their lack of food. It was written almost 2,000 years ago. I'd love for the church today of today to be the type of thing where this would be written about today. I don't know whether that would be the case. But it certainly can be. If we know Jesus and let Jesus work in us and let Jesus work through us. And lastly, we tell our story. What do we mean by this? There's an often mentioned quote in Christian circles that I dislike. Um, and it sounds really nice. I mean, the, but it's this, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. You know, it sounds really nice, and obviously the, uh, the, the, the point of it is that our lives should be speaking to the greatness of God and the, and the gospel message, which it should. That is true. But the implication of that statement is that it might be possible to not at some point need to use words, to not at some point need to actually speak about Jesus. Following Jesus in the ordinary means showing Christ with our lives, yes, but also with our words. Why are we doing what we are doing when we are serving? What has Jesus done in our lives? And I love the idea of telling our story of our walk with Christ because who can dispute your story? Who can dispute what God has done in your life and through your life and what Jesus has done for you? My absolute favorite example in all of Scripture of an individual sharing about their encounter with Jesus comes in John chapter 9. Now, if you know the story, this is Jesus who heals the blind, heals the blind man by putting mud on his face and tells him to go and wash it off, and he washes it off, and he's healed. And um, when the religious leaders see that this blind man that they have seen begging day after day has been healed, 
They're not happy about it. In fact, they are very angry about it. And they pull him and his family in front of them, and they start accusing him and wanting him to uh, denounce Jesus and saying, don't you know that this man is a sinner? Don't you know that the man who supposedly healed you is, uh, you know, doesn't follow the Sabbath and doesn't follow our laws? And they pull him in and they confront him and telling him all this, launching into these accusations. And I love his response in verses 24 and 25 of chapter, of, of chapter 9 of John. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they say this, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And his reply, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. A beggar standing in front of these men who had spent their lives study, you know, learning and studying the Old Testament, the religious leaders, the religious elite, and he stands in front of them like, I don't know what you're, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but I do know this, that I was blind and now I see. Who can dispute his story? Who can dispute your story? The story of Jesus' work in your life. The story of Jesus' work through your life and in your relationship with him. Because our lives are not defined by the highlight reels, by our Facebook feeds, or our Instagram feeds. Our lives are defined by the everyday, ordinary moments that come in between. It's in these moments that we can determine to know Jesus, to let him work, and to share our story of what he does. And when we do this, God accomplishes the extraordinary, through ordinary people doing ordinary things in service to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to have the privilege of being in relationship with you, God. And as we come through times like Christmas and Thanksgiving and things that we've just passed through and Advent, it can feel like we're heading into this lull of the year. And it can be hard to be motivated. It can be hard to be excited. But God, I pray that we would have a level of excitement for being able to live every day for you. For every day, every moment of our lives to be able to be an act of worship to you, to point to your goodness and point to your greatness. To be letting people know, as we've sung earlier this morning, that we are free and they can be free. God, you are great. You are great in the highlights of our lives, you are great in the more mundane moments of our lives, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.